podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the show that brings you untapped business ideas from successful entrepreneurs. My name is Chris Justin, and I'm here with Ethan Janney. Ethan, how's it going today? It's going pretty good, man. Uh, I was thinking about meme coins last time, and I'm still thinking about them. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to convince you to buy into Super Doge, the yeah. uh, Doge 2.0, basically that uh, gives money to charities. Already raised over a hundred thousand dollars. I don't know that I would start with gives money to charities. It's like two percent of the money's going to charities, which is better than most cryptos, of course. But uh, uh, well, I mean, if you if you have something against saving the lives of people, then by all means, you know, don't worry about it. Well, I think you could probably do fifty <laughs> times better than two percent if you really wanted to donate. Which actually dovetails nicely into right. our topic today. Yeah, tell us about Nicole. Yeah, in today's show we have uh, Nicole Loftus, a uh, really impressive background, building her own companies in the past, but she's also got a new project called SkinX, a tech-enabled ecosystem that is ready to launch and get every American in the game investing in entrepreneurs, innovators and job creators. And um, she's bringing us an idea today that has to do with the political space, which we haven't talked about a ton on Run With It, but I'm excited about this. I'm excited about anything that will get me excited about politics. <laughs> well, it, it, and it's nice to talk about this in an off cycle since um, Biden has come into the presidency. Things have kind of died down a little bit. I'd say in a good way. I think a lot of people would say in a good way, but, uh, but yeah, certainly want to use the momentum that we've had to try and improve the political uh, space for everyone, not just not just the people in charge right now. This is a really interesting context to go after because fundraising for political campaigns is massive. It reached over $80 billion in 2020 across uh, state, local, federal government uh, campaigns. There were over $14 billion raised in the contest for the White House alone. That was more than double the amount raised in 2016. So it's growing like <laughs> exponentially. It's, it's crazy. Given that, though, there's very little transparency for where the money is going, how it's being spent, and almost no accountability. I want to ask Nicole, when we get into this, about uh, money and politics in general, because I think that there's probably a question about whether we should be trying to optimize this. But the idea that she's bringing to us here today is just holding politicians accountable for how money is being spent, bringing some more transparency into, uh, into fundraising. Nicole, what made you come up with this idea? Well, I think like all great ideas and all great entrepreneurs and innovators, the idea forms over time, right? It's not like a eureka moment where everyone likes to think that's what it is. But uh, if I were to go back in time, it was when a very good friend of mine in Illinois was running for a small office. And I won't name the office because I don't want to get this person in trouble. But he was in politics, running for office, raised a bunch of money. I helped him raise money from people who were generous and that believed in him. And he lost the election and decided to take his election money and go do a, a trip to Utah skiing uh, with the money that he raised in the election. And it upset me personally because I personally canvassed and went door to door with him. 
and got supporters. And this was many years ago. And I thought. You'd be less upset if he invited you to go skiing with him. I just. (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) No, and I wasn't invited for the record, but I did. uh, I would have been even more guilty. I would not have been able to enjoy myself on that trip because I knew where the money was coming from. But it was. I didn't even know this was a true thing. I mean, thank you for bringing this to our attention that, that, you know, once you've given money to a politician and the election's over. I've been frustrated before. I think that's something that has made me a bit disillusioned is getting really excited about a candidate. There was a candidate I was very excited about and I was just given regular donations, regular donations, you know, promoting, doing my best to support the cause. And I guess I was, I was disappointed not I don't think he did anything with the rest of the money that was immoral or anything. I was disappointed that he lost, you know, like he didn't fight hard enough. You know, I was fighting, other people were fighting and it just didn't work. You know, you bring up a great point that I hadn't thought of is that part of the idea we need is for them to be transparent on how they're spending the money. And you're bringing up a great point that what if they aren't spending enough money to win? What if they decided to budget their dollars because they wanted to leave more on their war chest, right? And this happens too. Where if a candidate figures out, ah, there's no way I'm going to win this race, they actually pull back on spending on their campaign because they can save that money for their next election cycle in their war chest, basically their personal bank account. So I think you're bringing up a really great point. You were rooting for them to win that seat and in that election, and you were disappointed. But if we were being transparent and you could see how he or she were or spending the money, uh, maybe then you could say, you know, I know that he pulled back when it looked bleak. Yeah. Or maybe I could see, ah, look, he did his best. He did exactly what I would have done. There you and go. I'm yes. fully ready to continue to donate the next time. So the problem that you're highlighting here, Nicole, is that we have no way of really controlling or knowing how politicians are going to spend the money that they raise from us. I want to take a step back and ask the question of why do we need this money in politics? And does it really make sense for us to build a business around optimizing that money as opposed to using that effort to try and change the political system such that we don't need to raise so much money and and waste it on uh, Facebook ads. Yeah, I think I agree with you 100%. I would love it if someone could, by the next federal presidential election cycle or even the midterms, be able to put caps on spending or to change the game and say, you know what, you're going to be allotted X amount of dollars and everyone's allotted the same amount. But that is, I think we are decades, decades away from that happening. Uh, It's going to be a long fight and we have bigger fights to fight in the meantime than that one. So if I, you know, if I'm looking at what I want my representatives in Congress or in the Senate to be, to be working on, I, I, there's other things I think they should have on their agenda than this. Yes, I'm with you. Wouldn't that be lovely if we could do that? But in the meantime, we all know, because we're all entrepreneurs, we could be faster at solving this problem in the interim, right? So I think getting this platform up, this platform could be up in weeks. There's other, right? There's software out there. We could do a plug and play and get something like this up and going. It's not going to be weeks before we solve the problem of people spending too much money in campaigns. But I'm with you 100%. I would love it if we could solve that problem. So it's what we're imagining. It's not for 
I mean, ideally it's for all the campaign funds that they raise, but the, the thing that you're talking about launching within a month or something like that, that's one where we have a portion of the funds that they're fundraising, which we say abide by these rules, basically. Like this is the platform, the funds go to the, the politician, but at the same time, everything's reported and there's a certain amount of transparency, much like we look at with you know publicly traded companies today, right? There's probably some sort of reporting mechanism that they're going to have to adhere to, right? There is. But more than that, I think uh, I was trying to think of a good example and you guys could probably help me. But once there is a platform out there, once Twitter existed and one candidate started using it, whether it was at a municipal, highly local school board level or it's at the president at the federal level, right? Everyone started using Twitter because it just made sense. You couldn't run for any office and not use it. And it's true. There's other... Uh, what's a good example? If you're a restaurant, you don't go into the restaurant business now without having some sort of a Grubhub, DoorDash, right, delivery service, right? It just becomes something that is adopted because both sides of the marketplace see a benefit from using it. That's what I'm saying. If we create something that makes it so easy and it's viral, it's once one candidate uses it and we use social media to say, hey, if you're not willing to use this, and that means you're not willing to be transparent, you kind of can you know, shame people a little bit into using it. And if they're running against someone who's willing to use this platform and be transparent, I think adoption would be pretty speedy. And we've seen this with a lot of other companies that once you give, make adoption a call to action and an indicator that they are in the game, then it spreads like wildfire. I think I largely agree with you. I, I want to. I'm going to push back, play devil's advocate. Good, please do. This is what one we more need time. This. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I see campaign spending as a nuclear arms race of sort. Yes, it is helpful in some way, but we're already seeing that in order to be competitive, you just need to throw way more money in every election. People are tired of hearing the same message, though. It's not like it's super effective when yeah, how many phone calls did people get over over the course of the 2020 general election? That was just phone calls. I mean, Facebook ads. Uh, I think that there definitely is some return on investment, but you need to the amount of spend needs to be greater than the other side, and that's just going to keep escalating. So, but what you're saying is, uh, and one other point that I wanted to bring up. And, but again, you keep trying to solve a different problem, whereas I'm focused on one problem, right? Like the amount is being spend is a problem. You're right. But I yeah. can only solve one problem at a time as an sure. entrepreneur, right? So the problem is whatever you guys want to spend, spend it. But now I just want to make it transparent. And then once we're transparent, then we can tackle the next part of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree with you again in in, uh, in general. It's I guess it's a sequencing thing, perhaps, but I uh, I also wanted to highlight one thing you had mentioned that it's going to be decades potentially before uh, there's some sort of major campaign finance reform. I am more optimistic than that with the uh, HR one, the For the People Act. I think that that will go through the Senate as well. That's aimed at reining in super PACs as well, which is uh, you know that they can basically spend unlimited money. So that's just an aside. If you're if you are interested in that as a listener, uh, go check that yeah, out. Super and, PACs you know. is one big problem, but actually having each campaign capped at what they can spend. And what I hate is that now when you watch different races, you go, "Ooh, this guy's running for mayor and he raised three million. The guy, other guy, raised five hundred thousand. Even in these local mayoral races." People are like, oh, wah, wah. the guy who only raised 500000 is going to lose. And they just stopped supporting him because he didn't raise as much money, which I, I love. Chris was your point that it's like, okay, 
that's not that's not a good way to gauge whether someone's going to be a good mayor or not. Right. I've made my point. I'm going to come back. Let's let's get into your idea. Here what did the about- devil? I, actually, I didn't quite get the point. I'm kind of dense here. What did the devil say? What was the devil advocating in one sentence? <laughs> <laughs> that this is the wrong problem to focus on. Oh, okay. Got it. All right. Potentially that, yeah, we should, if you're going to be spending several years to build a business solve around the problem of how much is spent or solve the upstream yeah. problem of spending so money here's in the a, first place. Here's a, here's a way to solve to make you feel better, Chris, is that let's imagine that if you have to be transparent with how your money is being spent, maybe the money, if so much, if it's egregious how much money is raised, what if we can make the money that's raised used put to a good use? So part of this idea is that whatever isn't used in that race, the candidate is being challenged by his donors to donate the rest of that money to not just 2% of it, by the way, but a lot, you know, the rest of it, whatever's left in the war chest gets sent to a nonprofit or another organization, or maybe even back to the donors. I don't know. That's something for us all to brainstorm. I love that you brought in the background story on this and it keeps making me think of, of solving kind of what you just alluded to. What was the initial problem, right? You, you were an, in, you had an inside look at what happened to the leftover money. And, you know, it, it'd be interesting too, if, if you could just even modify the process such that if there was leftover money, you could get it back, you know, and, yeah. or, or at least say, okay, you don't get the money back, but you get to decide where it goes, right? Would you like to fund my trip to Utah to go skiing <laughs> or my next campaign or, you know, like right. whatever. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. There are some analogs here that we can call out in uh, in different industries. One, the obvious one that comes to mind for me is GiveWell, GiveWell.org. It's a meta charity, perhaps you can call it that, that provides a lot of transparency into how charities are spending their money. If you can only, if you don't feel like researching, okay, what's the best place to put my uh, my donation, you can go to GiveWell and they have all these metrics to be able to tell which charities are most efficient. And yeah, what you're describing reminds me a little bit about that of using your money in a financially responsible way. The other one that comes to mind for me more in the political spectrum is Blueprint, blueprint blueprint.swingleft.org. You can infer which aisle of the political spectrum, which side of the political spectrum I'm on from that. But I'm looking at their, their page right now and each quarter they have a different blueprint and plan for you if you were to make a donation for how that money would be allocated. And you can get into the details if you want to, but they make it relatively large blocks. So 30% right now, I'd say, in engaging voters in Virginia, 30% fighting for fair maps in key states, 40% keeping Virginia blue. And again, if you open it up, then they uh, call out some of the specific races and exactly how they would use that money. So there is some drive toward this, which I think is a, is a good sign that there's appetite for it, right? I felt comforted donating to uh, Blueprint last election cycle because you know, I didn't have to think about it. So yeah, I think you're I think you're onto something overall that there's appetite for this. And and along those lines, I don't know if you liked Act Blue last the last campaign. I loved Act Blue because I could give to Jamie Harrison in Atlanta. As well, you know, I could just make, and I had one account set up and I could just keep giving there and I didn't have to go directly to the candidate's website. So that idea of making it really easy was fun too. So there is an appetite for it. I've got a devil's advocate on that act blue type of thing. And that is, and clearly we're not uh, 
holding whole pull i don't know what you call it we're not hiding our political affiliations i'll put it that way <laughs> but but i would say you know one of the issues that i had with act blue is donating to a particular political campaign that i was supportive of and then of all all of a sudden i would get this sort of donation they'd get another email about something to donate and it's like wait is this going to act blue is this going directly to the candidate that i'm supporting is this going to support this other politician um i find it quite disconcerting just in general that whole realm of emails coming to me about politics and apparently there's some sort of law basically that like politicians can spam you you know like like it's okay for them to just just like send you random emails and then get you you know shuffle around all these email addresses and share them with everyone so i don't know there's drawbacks to that that kind of system and maybe we're here to solve it so going back to chris's point you know in my current venture we are changing a massive system. We're bringing venture investing to the public. We're building a mechanism, a platform, a brand new ecosystem out of white space, right? And that ecosystem will show the big system that there's an appetite and that there's a need for change. Chris, you're absolutely right. We are focusing on one problem when there's this bigger monster systemic problem here, right? That is bureaucratic and full of red tape and going to take a lot of work for us to fix. But if the FOSS and your listeners who run with it will take this idea and build this new ecosystem out of white space using things that already exist, right? So it's not totally new. The white space isn't all that white. It's a little gray. Then that sends a message to the big system that their change is re- their time is for change, right? You've seen this in how many other big systemic changes in our history that I think we have an opportunity to do more than just writing letters to our representatives. By fixing this problem here, getting the transparency going and showing the good work we're doing. So going back to one of Chris's original devil's advocate moments, do you think there's truth to that or do you think that's BS? I think that's a pragmatic approach. I think that it, it's uh, you have a lot more control taking on something like that as opposed to just throwing your hands up in the air and saying that. Do you think the, the system, people's running the system will get a message and see you know, it's like it's undeniable that if we want to want real get reelected, we're going to have to play this game with these people. Like, yeah, I think that's already. I think that has been shown going back to the Obama campaign, right? That was famous for its grassroots movement and how much was raised by small donors. So, I think that there's evidence that there's room for that. Your other example about funding and and financial markets, it's uh, everyone at this point knows about the GameStop story from Reddit fueled by retail investors. It's impressive what a lot of people can do if they band together. So yeah, I think that there's room for that. I think that it's more accessible for the individual to make an impact that way. And I'm glad that you're grounding this, you know, idealism or this, you know, because sometimes that idealism is actually an excuse for inaction. And well, yeah, speaking of that, we got to talk about getting this started, right? So like if we think it's going to work or we don't think it's going to work is kind of a moot point if we don't do anything. And of course, we actually aren't doing anything. <laughs> we're kind of asking other people to do it. But, what, what, but the part we're playing in this system is thinking about and actually putting out on the table some of the actions that we can take to get this thing started. So um, I'm just trying to think what would I do if I was going to get something like this started, I think maybe I might start with one politician that maybe is got like a fresh, exciting following or something like that. Like, gosh, I can't 
I'm, I'm, these elections have so many candidates now and uh, there, there's so many different things going on. Uh, Buttigieg, right? Like I remember Pete Buttigieg, like he was a candidate that kind of like came out of nowhere, but then all of a sudden he's really big and a lot of people are excited about him. Oh my God, this guy's going to be president. You know, Obama was kind of like that back in the day. And uh, a lot, actually a lot of presidential candidates these days kind of have that story. Like you're like, who is this? And then all of a sudden they're going to be the president. So, you know, kind of latching on to one of these stories, these kind of Cinderella stories of somebody emerging and going to this person, you know, and saying, hey, you're trying to, there's no politician that's not out there trying to, to put forth that they're ethical. Right? So it's like, okay, if, you, if, if your premise is that you're kind of the ethical candidate, we've got this platform, let's get you signed up for it. Let's, you have, let's have you be the first person that's going to do this while promoting it while you run. Does that sound like a good start for this? You know, is that the first step is to look for a candidate that we can latch on to? I think that is a pl- definitely a doable plan. And I know people are, to use the baseball analogy, are fans of base hits instead of grand slams. But as one of the few Inc. 500 number eight entrepreneur with the eighth fastest growing company in the country. Okay, wait a second. We got to take a moment to celebrate. Woo! Chris, Thank come you. on. One <laughs> That's of the pretty few impressive. Women ever incredible. It is very impressive. Yeah. I drop. I try to drop bringing that into conversations. You know, <laughs> Excellent. With waiters at, at any chance I get, but I clearly grew a business fast, and the way I did it was doing exactly what you just said, Ethan. But in multiple places at once, right? So why not have that be, why not do what you just said, but at almost every tier of an election, do it at a local, I mean, hyper local, like super local, small level. And what if we had these seeds planted at multiple different levels? And it was like, yeah, I heard about the guy who did that. Oh no, not the one that was running for president. The one, the guy who's running for state Congress in Iowa or something, right? Like to have it be that viral moment, do you think it's going to be hard to get a candidate to agree to use this and be the one that sticks his neck out and says? I think that what would be difficult, hmm, just to get their attention, right? There's got a lot of different things going on. And so I'm sure there's all sorts of people coming to them with offers about, hey, this is your next best, biggest thing. And then on top of that, devil's advocate to my own suggestion, if you're just getting it started and you're maybe using them as a use case and you're going to have to work out the bugs and things like that, avoiding sort of becoming a part of their little political system. You know, maybe they're trying to take advantage of this and how it works and, you know, oh, let's report it this way. Okay. (laughs) You know, a way that's more advantageous to the way that they want to do things. So I don't, we don't know whether it would be hard to get a politician degree until we try. And so, and that, that goes for any any ideas? I've asked yeah. a few and all were like, please call me the second you get this thing up and running. And I'm like, I'm a little busy right now. But you know, when I think about my first company, I had to raise two and a half million dollars just to build a brand new system from scratch. And what I see now that we're pulling off the shelf and plug and play and just putting pieces together from Salesforce to Plaid to all these other technologies that exist, Typeform, my God, Typeform has changed I mean, what I had, what we used to pay to, I sound like an old lady, but what I used to have to pay to make a form and now you've got, you can get a form in an hour and it's gorgeous. I think we could test the hell out of this thing before anyone's really using it and get all the kinks out. But, but so I had, I talked to someone who was running for mayor of a small town in Illinois about it. I've talked to people who are running for state Congress and people who are running for federal office and some people who've been funding candidates forever. For since, you know, before Obama, you know, many, many years. 
the people who worked for the Kennedys who said this would be something that any candidate would love to say, you know, challenge the community to do. So I vetted it and that they say, but, you know, saying they're interested in actually yep. signing on the dotted line and putting their neck out is another thing. What do they have to do to put the skin in the game to get started? What's the incentive for them to actually do this? They're saying that they would want to, but are they saying that because they believe that they would actually get more donations yes. that, or increase their likelihood of winning? Both. All the, but both. Okay. When people want to donate to something that feels credible. And I would rather donate to something that feels credible than something that I don't know where my money's going. Like you just said, I think, Chris, you had said, everyone says they're ethical, but you're saying, you know what? We'll be so transparent with you. We're going to, this is kind of like, uh, I'm dating myself again like a Ross Perot moment. Uh, I don't know if anyone knows who that is, but. Yep. Was he like a Civil War character? Forgetting. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the numbers here, the value of the solution. You're in a numbers business now, largely, I'd say. So you're better poised than most to be able to talk about stuff like this. You had mentioned that you're thinking 5 to 10% of con campaign contributions going toward a service like this. Where did you come up with that number? Well, I benchmarked some of the other um, campaign aggregator services, and some of them are in the high teens, almost 20%, that you have to pay as a candidate to get people to raise capital. I've heard from some candidates that they expect that they have to pay, they're going to they're gonna lose 50 to 75% of their contributions. They have to do manual canvassing, manual fundraising, uh, the old-fashioned way, which unfortunately is still, you know, they hold host an event. The overall cost, what they net fundraising when it's not electronic experience and it's not just a cold donation that didn't, they didn't have to put anyone on a phone talking to anybody, could be up to 50, 60% that they lose. That's huge. I mean, this yeah. is, that's why it's costly to run a campaign, but not so much anymore because when you have like Bernie did, however many millions of people paying, putting $35 donations uploading that didn't cost him really anything except making a website, right? The game is changing, but still, depending on the race, it could be require a lot of local work that's costly. So I thought 5 to 10% would be very reasonable as an adjusted, right? So if you look at your entire campaign that you're running, some of your campaign contributions are going to cost you 60% of that contribution. Some might cost you one or 2% or nothing because it came online. But when you uh, balance them out, I didn't think that would be anything anyone should balk at. And the fact that we're getting it on both sides, I thought would be interesting too. What happens if there's a credit card fees involved, right? Like, do we take after credit card fees or something like that? Just, just to get a little bit more... Detail. Yeah. Well, and I, um, in my past life, not this business, but the business before we were, you know, doing three and a half, $4 million a month in business, uh, average transaction size was size was $1,200. So that's a lot of transactions we were doing. And most of them were on credit cards. So we found ways to reduce the merchant fees on the credit cards. And I thought it would be fun to have a credit card company or two or three to sponsor this, just another idea in the business plan, that they would be willing to, because they love transparency, they would be willing to reduce or waive fees for our platform for, you know, first time users or something like that. But I would think that would be a fun sponsorship play you could make with Anamex or a Visa or a MasterCard, Capital One or someone like that. 
Yeah, you can certainly negotiate the fees down. I think they start typically at 2.9% plus 30 cents. How low were you able to negotiate yours down? Below one. Below one. Okay, so decent decent margin there. And it also comes with scale, right? So in the beginning, it would sure. be more costly for us, but that's, a, that's an expense on our end. So I, I think the 5% comes out before, to answer Ethan's question, before our... Um, I want to take take 10% off the top. I want to take a little aside here. What does it look like to have that conversation to negotiate down to 1% with a credit card company? Is that something you're doing personally? Do you have an advisor? Is that just something that happens naturally as you grow your, you know, your sort of business associates and advisors saying, Hey, yeah, you can negotiate this down. Just ask, you know, what does that negotiation look like? (laughs) (laughs) It depends. When it was my first company and it was me and my amazing accounting team, you know, no entrepreneur does anything alone. I had a killer accounting team and we, we're very low, very low margin business. And so anywhere we could pinch a penny or two or three. Uh, our clients, though, were also JP Morgan Chase and Citigroup. Uh, we were the exclusive supplier for all of Citigroup's emotional products and uh, ultimately also JP Morgan. So we could leverage that to get a lot of information and learn and position ourselves right with the merchant banks. And then, you know, the prices kept going down and we would outbid it out all the time. But our clients were blue chip clients and they were using their corporate credit cards. So the likelihood that they would be paying their bills was very high. So every merchant was dying for our business because I wasn't taking money from Joe John Q Public, right? I was taking money from an employee of Citigroup who would likely get the bill paid by Citigroup, right? So I was cheating a little bit in that the nature of who owned that, who held that credit card allowed us to, to get a better rate. But I don't think it would change much if we knew that this was the environment this was happening in, that we could leverage the mission of what we're doing here to get some better rates. I wanted to call out another um, competitor of sorts here is uh, WinRed. And they're infamous of late, given their some of the tactics they use to, to get recurring If you're blue, all you do is act. If you're red, you win. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah they, they're famous for these checkboxes that they automatically had checked that turned your donations into recurring donations. And some of them were even weekly recurring donations in the time leading up to the presidential election. Anyway, their transaction fees, they have it publicly stated on their website, 3.8% plus 30 cents. So that anchors us a little bit. In the, uh, it sounds like what we would be doing with this idea provides more value than just processing payments, which seems to be what WinRed is primarily doing. I'm going to go a little bit deeper into the actions we could take. So we talked about, you know, partnering with a particular politician. Um, Maybe that's not going to be so hard to do. We can, we can latch onto their stories. We get this thing going. Now, what about the nitty gritty? Like, this is like a a software application, a phone app of some sort. Like uh, the answers maybe are just obviously yes to that, but I don't want it to make, make it sound too easy (laughs) to just like have an idea for a software and then just go to a politician and say, let's make it. So let's say a politician. Let's say I say to a certain politician, you know, really a local politician that I, I really like, and I say, hey, let's get started on this thing. And they go, ah, hell yes, I'm all in. And then, and then I go, oh, oh okay, <laughs> um, how am I going to make it? You know, or like, how is this all going to actually happen? Well, I'm a big fan of Salesforce, not to pitch anyone in particular, but I had no idea what they could do from a, 
operations, company operations perspective, it's so much more than a CRM tool. We're using Salesforce at SkinX as part of our backbone to run our company operations, but as well as, of course, CRM, which is, you know, the beginning of what you can do with them. But there is a way on Salesforce that every candidate, as well as every donor, could be engaged and see their dashboard of the donations they've made. And then the candidate can keep up their dashboard of all of their spend which could be imported from however they choose to manage their books, right? They could use QuickBooks or Microsoft Dynamics AX or something like that, could be fed right into their Salesforce. And any user's dashboard would come from a Salesforce. But, you know, that's only one of many that exist today that would not would require very little customized development. Um, all of them are going to require some, but um, Salesforce wouldn't require much. One way of tackling this that would require very little overhead would be to look at the political ad transparency sections, both on Google and Facebook. That may not be the majority of ad spend, but it might be um, a good chunk of it. Let's say, I don't know, maybe 20% of what candidates spend. I'm looking at Google's transparency report here. And if you look at the top advertisers since May 31st, 2018, Number one here, Biden for president, it looks like it was 83704000 on Google. So again, I mean, that's not, Biden raised billions of dollars. So it's, it's not the majority by any means, but there are a number of Biden related funds here that you can tackle. And what someone could do is scrape this data, pull it together and, and compile it. I remember reading right after the 2020 election, AOC had mentioned she lamented some of the House seats being lost by Democrats and how little they were spending on Facebook. The uh, Allegheny County uh, representative, Connor Lamb, I think he spent $5,000 on Facebook. And I was struck by someone in her shoes going and, or someone probably on her team going and finding that information and calling out a, a, a fellow House member by saying, hey, you're not doing enough here. You know, an organization like what we're describing could go and audit this kind of spend. You can actually see the actual ads that people are creating mm -hmm. and you can grade politicians based on how effectively they are uh, spending their money on Facebook and on Google. And in the end, when I brought up software, I guess maybe I'm making it more complicated than it needs to be. It's it's really just a, having a system to collect donations and then having a system to go to the politician and say, you said you were going to you know, share how you spent things. So you basically need, you know, the collecting donations part is relatively easy. There's all sorts of payment systems you could use. but And then it comes down to maybe partnering with like auditors or or making sure you have a good... Uh, sense of what it takes to ask someone for financial reporting, you know, maybe do some investigation in the corporate governance space, you know, just to figure out, you know, what kind of protocols are used there. My sister's actually a forensic accountant, right? So she goes into companies and tries to figure out where the fraud is taking place I or things like that. I think you guys are over... Oh, overthinking it. I do. I think we have a template. We have a template and there's 10 buckets that people usually spend money on in a campaign and your your quickbooks account or your however your accounting system files where you you know this cla it's a it's a classic ledger accounting ledger says travel entertainment staffing you know advertising blah 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 
that we could create new breakout advertising to Chris's point, which is a great point, and really AOC's point. You know, are you where are you spending your advertising dollars? Right. So, and so expand different categories on the ledger. But I think you give everyone the exact same ledger and say, how much did you spend? And they're they're tracking this because they have to report it. So it's right. But then I want to know when the election's over, how much was left, and where is that money going? That's a big part of it too. But so. I know you don't like to say it's easy, but I feel like it's so much hey, easier if, than if that. If someone from the Inc. Top 500 list, uh, number eight, oh, you know, now you're just the, the sort of, you, feel good. you know, the woman, <laughs> you know, dark horse candidate coming in here, making it happen. If you want to tell me it's easy, hey, I feel good about that. I'm yeah. excited. <laughs> well, and, and I always thought I would always keep this for myself. I always thought if I ever wanted to run for office, this was going to be what I was going to do. But I am less and less interested in ever running for office. The, you know, as every day goes by, it's just I do not see it as a as a win. And I'm one of those entrepreneurs. I cannot do it unless my heart is in it. I have to be in it. If I was running, I would use this as my platform to differentiate myself. And mm-hmm. I think it would be easy. You wouldn't need a bunch of auditors or forensic accountants. No offense, but all right, my sister's got to keep her day job. Sorry, Ethan's sister. But um, we we just give them our own ledger. Our system has its ledger, which would probably mirror close to what they already have to report on. Yeah, that I mean, makes sense. DOC knew what, what the guy in Allegheny spent on Facebook because he had to report it. So it's already being tracked. We're just bringing it, that data into our system and then sharing it. No, I, I wanted to ask you following up. We don't like to dish out platitudes on the show, but it was interesting what you said about things being simple. And I just wanted to ask you about, is there something to the mindset of assuming things that are, are simpler than they are more complicated to your success or to your vision of how people succeed? That like, if you think it's going to be hard, you'll make it too hard for yourself if you think it's going to be easy. Yeah? Absolutely. There's no doubt. I've, uh, I love that you said that and I haven't heard really anyone say it that way. But you're absolutely right. I've met with entrepreneurs who were wringing their hands over a $14,000 loan or wringing their hands over how hard it's going to be and how hard it's going to be and how hard it's going to be. I said, you know what? Please quit now. Hang it up. Go get a job. You're not cut out for this. Get the hell. Stop. And so she's, and I'm so close with her and she just, she did stop. And she said, that was the best thing you ever did for me because I was so in my head on making it complicated. And now she has a lovely business that she sees as simple, which because she sees it as simple is doing really, really well. Isn't that amazing? So Ethan, I think you're absolutely right. I see it as simple because it's the simplicity for me is that I will not rest until it's done. Like I must solve this problem. So that to me is the simplicity of it at its core. I'm going to make this happen, come hell or high water. And that is the simplest essence of why I get up every morning and why I work as hard as I do and make the sacrifices I make. I want to use that as an entry point into a potential sore spot for you here. Ooh, good. <laughs> Feel indulge. I uh, love it. Your story, which we didn't talk too much about, but alluded to with number eight on the Inc. 500 list, it involved what you now refer to as vulture capitalists. Yes. How do you see that tension between approaching something and thinking about it as simple? And do you see that contributing in any way to being taken advantage of by venture capitalists? Man, you guys are so good. This is like a therapy session because it's something Ethan just said that I had this woo aha moment that I think because I overcomplicated my business, I let the wolf into the hen house and I got scared 
Okay. So I was launching my business. I went from one to six to 22 million in the first three years. I did it all with angel money and friends and family and just bootstrapping and killing it and killing it. And then it was successful and it was profitable and the industry loved it. And I had employees and we were all just so in love with what we were doing every day. And it was a mission and it was, I was living the dream. And then I got scared because I started overcomplicating and said, well, we're turning a $20 billion industry on its head. How do you do that? It's like, you just did it, you jackass. Like, how do you not realize you just did it? I started complicating it and I started imagining it was, wasn't simple and I needed people smarter than me. And, oh, VCs are going to be so much smarter than I am. I can't wait to have a VC in my boardroom. Stupid, right? I had no idea. Smart enough to grab some of your cash. <laughs> I mean, really. And I didn't, I didn't know then what I know now, which I tell every entrepreneur is to please take more time choosing your VCs than you do choosing a spouse. You can always divorce a bad spouse. You can never get rid of a bad VC. There is no divorce in VC land. Once they are in your business, they own you. They own your baby. And they. there's no way you can get them out. It's not possible. And our VCs weren't bad guys. They hate when I use the term vulture capitalist. They keep asking me to stop using it. But it really was nothing against them. They were running their business and doing their job the way they're supposed to do their job and the way that system back to talking about the political system, right? The way that system works. And I was in Illinois, one of the 47 states that's basically shut out of venture capital. You know, all venture capital goes to only three states. Most of it goes to three states. So in Illinois, there's less competition. They could be more predatory. Anyway, the point is that you guys helped me out here today and you made me realize that, yes, by complicating things and imagining they weren't so simple, I thought I needed more help than I did. And I opened the door to uh, making really big mistakes and, and it would turn out to be fatal. I mean, my company survived. It was all ultimately sold to a PE firm and it's still alive and well and doing great today. And I'm very proud of it. And I wouldn't be doing SkinX if that hadn't happened to me. So again, it's another silver lining. But Chris, I'm not sure if I answered your question or not. No, you did. You did. You. Uh, it, it sounds like the insight that Ethan had brought actually... Um, resolved that tension for you and, and made it clear that it was because you let things get complicated that yeah. venture capitalists could get in. So yeah. And I'm struck again here by how uh, oftentimes our most impressive entrepreneurs that we've had on the show, how simply they view their business. I think about Erin Hooley's episode where she just broke down e-commerce into I think three steps and it's just, you just do these things. And if you do them, you're going to succeed. Just focus on it. Say no to everything else. It's so true. Did you ever read Al Reese's book called Focus? No, but. You sold, you sold Chris on it already with Got the title. Already. Yeah. It's so good. Uh, <laughs> me and too. I, my co-founder, Annabelle Iyev, she's the one that told me about it. And we, she and I both are very big on guiding principles uh, for SkinX, but I use guiding principles at Zorch. But El Reese says every business should be able to be boiled down to one word, and that's it. And at my first company, we boiled down our uh, client focus to just three things. They had to match three criteria. And if they didn't match every one of those criteria, we wouldn't talk to them. So I'd have people who'd be like, I need to buy a million t-shirts. And I'd be like, sorry, I can't help you. They're like, are you crazy? I want to buy a million t-shirts. Like, sorry, you don't miss, you don't match that three criteria that we have. I think with focus and simplicity, our siblings, maybe two sides of the same coin, right? Like you have to, if you're going to simplify it, you have to be so focused on what's simple about it. Um, but I highly recommend that book too, Focus by L. Reese, R-I-E-S. What's your one word for Skin X? Funding. Funding. 
There yeah, it is. that's what we do all day, every day is we're going to be funding. Well, tell us more about where people can go find SkinX and what you're up to now. So we've, we are just about to uh, launch the app where general public, American, every American that's 18 or older with a bank account can become a Skinvestor. They can get into the venture game. We're bringing venture to the public. And so our app will be live here shortly, but you can go to skinx.fund to learn more and to get the skinny and sign up for our newsletter and be one of the first people to know about it or reach out to me on LinkedIn and I'll let everyone know when we um, are ready to give everybody some skin in the game. Nicole Loftus, thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Ethan. The podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to transistor.fm run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.